is Palm Sunday and the historical events which lead up to the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Theologically, this would begin, the Palm Sunday would begin what is known as the triumphal entry. But this is the greatest irony because at the end of the week, it's going to be the exit of the greatest travesty of justice. Except for the fact that God is in control of all this, reconciling the world unto himself through the death and resurrection of his son. Well, we won't be really saying anything about Palm Sunday today. We're going to continue on in our Armor of God series. This is the third part, the Armor of God series. And we're going to be looking at the Shield of Faith this morning, just this one. This one certainly deserves to be dealt with all on its own. And I pray that God will give me the words to communicate it that way. As we begin, I want to talk about shields this morning, a little bit of history about shields and the type of shields. Interesting enough, I found out that shields were used for hunting long ago and long before they were used for warfare, partly for defense. By the way, I, I, actually, I actually did see a video of that where they... The Maasai tribe was going after in, uh, lions, and one of the lions came after the man, one of the man, men with a spear, and he was able to fit underneath his shield and was preserved that way. Um, and it says, partly for concealment and stalking game. Well, it is interesting when you talk about blinds and hunting. There's a particularly interesting blind that they have out that's a mirror blind. So whatever is in front of it, it will be the same terrain that reflects off of this mirror. The only problem is it doesn't work so well in Wyoming because it's always shaking by the wind, okay? So, um, but this is how it started, and it's very likely that the military shield evolved from that of the hunter and herdsman. Now, as we get into it, the size and the composition of shields vary greatly depending upon the weapons. And by the way, there are shields today. There are riot shields and ballistic shields, so they've come a long way. In general, the more effective the protection afforded by body armor, the smaller the shield. Similarly, the longer the reach of the soldier's weapon the smaller his shield. To protect a soldier from the threats they encounter on the battlefield is to make the soldier less likely to be wounded, right? More emboldened and thus more effective in combat. And then we have the Roman Empire and the Roman soldiers and the several kinds of shields that they had in their military history. The first one that we know about is called the Clippius, and it was modeled after the Greek shield, the hoplon. It was round and concave. It was about 36 inches across and was made of wood with bronze on the outside and leather on the inside. These were the standard shields used by the Greeks and Roman soldiers and were often carried by gladiators in the arena. The next kind is the scutum. And the scutum is the most famous, and it's the one that's associated with the Roman legions. So this, the scutum came after the Clippius, and this is probably the one that Paul was talking about, most likely. It was large and usually came in oval or rectangular shapes, two and a half feet by four. They actually have a, a picture of one. It's supposed to be one of the few that's in existence of the type of shields that they had by these Roman soldiers. They had concave curves to protect the soldier from all sides. 
The shape and size of these shields allowed the warriors to further protect their bodies against enemy attacks. And one of the formations that they would use was called the testudo formation, or its meaning the tortoise formation. This was one of the most efficient battle formations. The specific formation required soldiers to move together closely. Maybe that's why they're called scutum when they'd say, scutum a little closer. They would align their scutum shields before them, and they would be touching each other. And then they would have a line of shields above them. So they were covered from the front and from the head as the onslaughts of the arrows from their enemy came. And this would protect them from all frontal assaults. There was another shield that came a little later, and this one because of its practicality of soldiers that were in the cavalry and needed a smaller shield similar to the Clippius, and this one was made of armor, and they would carry this. Now, the Roman shields were a major part of the Roman military. It's not just something we like to talk about. It truly was a major part. Without these, the legionnaires would simply be walking targets on the battlefield. Well, as I said, it's very possible that Paul was looking at the Roman soldiers and their shields, these long shields. It may have been another shield, but we do know that when Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, on the one hand, he's looking at the soldier and his his uh, armor, and he's also looking at the scriptures that has something to do with that particular piece. Hence, the two scripture readings when we read them in the beginning. This idea of the shield of faith is very interesting. The believer, through the shield of faith, is shielded from the fiery and flaming arrows of Satan, of the evil one. And it's interesting that it's the shield of faith. In other words, faith is the shield. But it's faith in God, faith in his word, faith in his promises that are able to extinguish these flaming arrows from the evil one. So I'd like to just read, if we could, I'd like to just read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Follow along as I translate it from the Greek. It's very similar, but there's a few things I'll comment about. It begins with, in the NASB, in addition to all. Some translations say, above all this, It shouldn't be looked at that this is the weaponry that's above all. It just means as if, okay, I've given you a lot, but in addition to a lot, here's another important piece. So in all of this, he's going to talk about the shield of faith. And he says, in all of this, having taken up, you've already taken it up, having taken up the shield of faith which or with which you will be able to extinguish all the arrows that have been and continue to be the flaming ones, the flaming kind, the fiery kind. And they are the fiery kind of or from the evil one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, There is a sense, Lord, and this particular passage has been one that has been strongly relied upon down through Christian history. It's the fiery darts, the fiery arrows from the evil one that seem to get us. And it seems as if, Lord, if we don't have the shield up, it could easily penetrate even our armor. And it comes from the devil and it is there to destroy us 
if not at least to disqualify us. Father, give us wisdom this morning as we try to understand what it is and how to apply it. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've already covered several of them. We've covered the loins girded with truth, the loins being the foundation, and it's based on truth, the truth of God, the truth of God's word. And then there comes the breastplate of righteousness. And do you notice that each one of these are a characteristic? That's what it really is. Paul adds the metaphor of the armor, but it's about the characteristic of truth and righteousness. Do you want to stand against the wiles of the devil? Then make sure that your life is a life of truth, of God's truth. Make sure that you are living out righteously in a practical sense, having been made righteous by Christ. We talked about the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And it could be evangelism, and we are all about evangelism, but it most likely is your standing because of your position in Christ through salvation. We talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about the shield and how important it is. And like I said in my prayer, I'm thinking about you hear a lot in the writings of Christians in history and talking about the flaming arrows of Satan. Martin Luther is one who was often vexed by Satan, and rightly so because he's the great petitioner of Reformation and translating the Bible into the people's language, but one who was vexed by Satan and the flaming arrows, and you read anything about his life, and there's much taken up of his dealing with Satan in many of these things. And so it's important for us to understand it. Well, let's just begin and take a look at this. Uh, I want to look at the shield, and then I want to look at the faith, the shield of faith. And then I want to look at the flaming arrows, and then we need to look at the evil one. First of all, the Greek word here for shield is thoreos. Thoreos. It comes from thura, and guess what it means? A door. Because of the size of the shield, it's almost as if you're carrying a door. And of course, it's not as big as a door. They said that they were, uh, some of them averaged uh, two and a half feet wide by four feet uh, high. And when the Roman soldier could scoot down, but beneath them he was protected. And it was not like the smaller round ones, but one that could protect the entire body of the soldier. And so the word there is a door. This is a door shield, or as big as a door. As I said, it protected the entire body and they could go side by side. And I've already mentioned the tortoise formation, but there's another formation or other formations. The soldiers who carried these shields were in the front lines of battle. And they normally stood side by side with their shields together, forming a huge barricade extending as long as a mile or more. The archers stood behind this protective wall of shields and shot their arrows as they advanced against the enemy. Anyone who stood or crouched behind such shields was protected from the barrage of the enemy's arrows and spears. Now, on occasion, this isn't what you would call the hand-to-hand combat shield, And so maybe when Paul's referring to the shield, he is referring to the hand-to-hand combat shield. But nevertheless, these can also be effective in hand-to-hand combat. It says, but even a single-handed combatant found himself sufficiently protected. After the siege of Derachium, Sceva, the soldier, counted no less than 220 arrows sticking into his shield. So you can imagine you're going forward, the arrows are coming, and you're also having to do hand-to-hand combat. As for the materials, uh, you actually find a variety. And it's, it's 
it's kind of like today when you have a material for the riot shields, how they developed uh, by, uh, you know, learning from their mistakes. Well, these shields, uh, when you read about their different materials and how they were put together, there are differences. At uh, one point, it said there were seven levels of ox hide with wood, wooden stats behind it and wooden studs. It's, this one here says, the concave shields of the Roman legionary was made of two wooden pieces glued together and covered with linen and then with calf leather. They could be up to a hand breadth in thickness. So this is what they used in this very, very important weapon that they needed. But now what about for us as believers? How can we jump from this metaphor to apply it? Well, it's very interesting because the shield and the buckler, which is the smaller shield, you see buckler in the Old Testament, it has imagery. The first imagery is that God himself is a shield. God himself is the believer's shield. We see this in Psalm 18.2. says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And by the way, just knowing these scriptures helps just knowing these scriptures that he is your shield, just knowing as you go out in difficult times and temptations and trials, knowing these verses and knowing God is your shield and he protects you, beloved, that is setting up your shield of faith. One aspect of it. It says, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him to all who stoop behind him from those fiery arrows. But it's also a symbol not only that he is the shield, but it's also a symbol of his protection. When, you, when God grabs one of these weapons, he uses them with 100% perfection and precision, metaphorically speaking. And that verse that was read by Barry says, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of the buckler, the smaller hand-to-hand shield, and the shield, the bigger one, and rise up for my help. And so we see the imagery of this. So as far as is Paul quoting Psalm 35 here, it, it doesn't seem apparent, although it would be a likely one to suggest to you, and so that's why we look at that this morning. But I want to say the shield, what would, let's understand the shield, especially as we use it. So we know God is our shield. We know God takes up a shield for us to protect us from the evil one, but how are we supposed to use it? Because he says, having taken up the shield of faith, well, Notice it is the believer's faith. So it's not only truth, not only righteousness, not only the the feet, but it's now also the shield and the shield of faith. Our faith in God is what gives us the ability to extinguish, put out these flaming arrows that he shoots at us. That is what we are. So let's take a moment and talk about this faith. What kind of faith is it? How practical is it? And, and that's what I want to do. I want to try to get practical. I want to try to, you know, be able to talk about this, that these fiery arrows and try to cover as many areas as I can in the small amount of time that I have. I certainly won't be able to cover all of it. You will probably have some things that you will say, well, I, I have something that I think is a fiery arrow from Satan, and you would probably be right, and you would just add it. But it would be all of these things. But before we get to the flaming arrows, let's talk about the faith, the faith that's needed to shield ourselves from it. Well, first of all, what it's not. 
we're not talking about objective faith here. And when I say objective faith, we're talking about the Christian faith and the Christian doctrine. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with Christian faith and Christian doctrine, but that is the beliefs. If, if we would have talked about a piece that stood on objective faith, it would be the loins of truth, standing on doctrine, standing on the word of God. But this is more subjective faith, personal faith, practical faith, even experiential faith as, as we go out and do warfare. Subjective faith, let's discuss what I mean by that. Now, when I say subjective faith, it's practical faith. It's, it's not in the doctrines, although we have to stand on the doctrines, but it's the practical faith of when these arrows come in these situations and circumstances. It's the faith that we need to know to be able to extinguish them. Now, I don't mean arbitrary faith in the sense of, well, it's whatever you think. You know, you come up with all kinds of ideas. No, we want to be careful of that. We never want to come up with our own ideas. We want to make sure that they're always biblical. Because I'll tell you what, when you read some of these arbitrary things of what they think the faith is in the shield of faith, it becomes wild. And it's not biblical at all. What we are talking about, this practical faith, is our faith, yes, but our faith in God. It's not faith that, oh, well, everything's just going to work out fine. No, it's faith in God who's going to work all things together for good. It's faith in God and it's faith in his word. These practical things are also in his word. It's not just doctrine in his word, chapters 1 through 3, Ephesians. It's also practical, practical faith, Ephesians 4 through 6. Here we are in the end of chapter 6, and we're being very practical. Paul, thank you for the doctrine. Paul, thank you for my position in Christ. But Paul, what do I do day to day in my battle against these forces of evil? Ephesians 6, 12. And so it means faith that is based on his word and his attributes. When that faith is applied to the believer's everyday life, and this is the road that we have to cross, it's not only subjective faith, but it's the practical shield of faith. Now let me just say, what, what, what do you mean then by saying our faith is in God, or our faith is in God's promises his protection and his control. So let me, let me explain three here. Our faith in God's promises, our faith in God's protection, and our faith in God's control. First of all, when we're out there in the battlefield and these arrows come, and we'll explain what the arrows are, we'll explain what they can be, But the way to extinguish them is with this shield of faith. Faith. Faith in God's promises. Now, you would always have the faith in God's promises of salvation and assurance of salvation. You need that. But we'll talk about that the next time we get together and we talk about the helmet of salvation. These are promises that we are helped daily with. Speaking of health, how about Psalm 46, 1, where David writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, some days it does seem like trouble follows you. It seems like everything you do, you are in trouble for. No worry, because our shield of faith sees God as a ever-present, help, sovereign, divine help over our trouble, whatever that trouble may be, and we'll talk about some of them. Also, strength. Lord, I just don't have the strength. I can't keep going on anymore. That's exactly what those fiery darts are trying to do, to get you to stop, to get you to throw in the towel. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I know what the context is. 
I know what the context is, is that Paul is able to maintain whether he has received all provisions from individuals or has to do without provisions. He could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And yet we could see some fiery darts coming in that area. But we do have strength to continue on. I just can't face this anymore. When is it going to stop? Beloved, it stops when God calls you home. Until then, you don't ever put down this shield of faith because in it is the promise of God's strength, the promise of God's peace. How about the promise of God's peace? And we talked about the gospel of peace and the peace that Jesus left us. It's a promise. Why don't we have peace in our hearts as believers? Well, maybe we're not believing him enough. Maybe we're not putting out our shield of faith enough because he said to us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Wow, did you hear that? You do not let your heart be troubled. And you, don't let it be fearful. But you, with the shield of faith, claim the peace that he's given to us. And just to mention one more, and we could mention a lot, how about wisdom? How often we need wisdom. You know, should we zig from a fiery arrow or should we zag from a fiery arrow? We need wisdom. We need wisdom in these situations so that we don't open ourselves up to more flaming arrows it says in james 1 5 but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god i love this who gives to all generously there's one thing you can ask for and be sure they're going to get and god's going to give it to you graciously and generously wisdom and what is wisdom it's god's wisdom it's god's truths it's god's principles from his word When you ask God for that kind of wisdom, God is saying, oh, finally, finally. And it says, and without reproach. You can't say, well, I'm going to get scolded by God because I don't know. I don't have the wisdom. You're being put up against these things so that you don't know, so that you have to turn to God and that he will give you wisdom. And that's the faith you have, the shield of faith. And it says, and it will be given to him. You've got to claim that with your faith. And that is your shield of faith. And we can talk about all kinds of other areas where there are promises. We should learn the promises of God in his word. What about God's protection? Well, this is another area that we are to have faith in, that God is protecting us. And one of the things that I was thinking about, I was talking with somebody about this uh, Armor of God series that we're going through. What, what we said to each other was, it, it is good that it's not solely dependent upon me putting on the armor of God. I am to do that. I am responsible and in danger if I don't. But God is also there. It's not as if he said, okay, put on the armor. Here you go. Go get him, boy. What? He is there to protect us. And one of the things that he is there to protect us from is temptations. Temptations, as we're going to see, are one of the fiery arrows It says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. There's a promise, the shield of faith. I know I can't, it doesn't seem like I can handle this, but but God says I can. I'll, I'll say it again because it is so humorous. When I find something that's humorous, it just stays with me. And I've said this before, but reminds me of the movie of the Fiddler of the Roof. When Tevia was praying to God and he said, I know, I know we're the chosen of God. But could you just once in a while choose someone else because of the, of the trials that come with being chosen? 
God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, with the temptation, with the temptation, not necessarily moving it out, although he will do that and has done that, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And so we see God's protection. Jesus also prayed for our protection in his high priestly prayer. Thirdly, as far as practical faith goes, and I know I'm not giving an exhaustive example here, but God's control. This is a huge shield of faith. By knowing that God is in control, because when Satan throws his fiery darts, which could be circumstances, and you think everything is out of control, the the ruler of this world, which is Satan, Jesus' words, has successfully controlled everything. But not everyone, meaning God, and because God is sovereign, not everything. Believers must exercise faith in God's control and in God's will. And by the way, this could be one of the things of the areas of weakness if we say, well, yes, this, this could be God's will, but I don't want it to be God's will, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of part from it. Or worse, well, I don't like the idea of that being God's will, so I'm just going to say that it's not, and I'm going to go down another road, and if God has allowed me to, it must be God's will. I actually just heard someone say that this week. Jesus was the one who taught us to say, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And by the way, that is a very practical way in order to deal with things in your life that you don't necessarily want. Now, he has allowed them in there. Even if they come by the darts of Satan, God has allowed them in there. And let me say this, your emotion that just says, I'm not too sure about that, that's not necessarily sin. As long as your last breath is, thy will be done. When you say, I'm going to do it my will, you are dropping your shield. Jesus said in John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in a practical way, if we're only about ourselves, we're getting it wrong. But if we're here to do God's will, if we're here to serve him, that's helping lift up the shield of faith. And then finally, God's sovereignty. I think there is one verse that is so important, and it's been important. I've considered it important for decades it's romans eight twenty eight. it's the shield of faith that says and we know that god causes all things not some things all things to work together for good to those who love god and to those who are called according to his purpose so they're going to work for good even if We consider them bad. And some things aren't that great. They're good. But God will work them out. And that's the shield of faith. Because at this point, you could just say, what's the use? Look at what happened. Where was God? I'm out of here. How sad would that be? But the shield of faith says, no, I know. And the word know here was the, is the idea from know from experience. Paul could have given us scriptural principles of why all things work together for good, of how sovereign God is, but he also saw it practically in his life. I know they turn out for good. It started out bad, and then at the end when I realized it, look how many more came to Christ. Look how many more were blessed. What I thought was a terrible thing in my life 
turned out to be one of the most tremendous blessings. You, you want to know somebody who, who uh, said something like that? Jo- Johnny, Joni, um, who at a very young age dove in and broke her neck on a rock in the water and became a paraplegic the rest of her life. And she said, for the things that God has taught her through this, she would never change the way it happened. That is a shield of faith. And it may take us a while to get it down, but we already have it for us in the form of a promise. And we know that God causes not some things, but all things to work together for good. And of course, what is the good? Well, first of all, the good would be, number one, theologically, God's glory. He will not compromise his glory. And secondly, what's the other part of the good? Him making me more like Christ. This may not feel good. This, this may be terrible. But at the end of the day, hopefully sooner rather than later, it brings out the Christ-like character in my life. I, this one verse, I, th- I, think this, I think this verse ought to be the emblem on your shield of faith. I think we ought to think about it every, everything that happens to us. Or somebody comes with some discouraging news. And if not out loud, at least in your heart, Romans 8.28. I mean, this, I think, is one of the great promises that we have. And there, we could go down many other avenues, but these were just some of the ones that, that I was uh, thinking of and, and brought to our attention. This is this idea of practical faith, the promises of God, the protection of God, and the control of God. Well, let's move now to the flaming arrows. These are the famous metaphors used by Christians down through Christendom. And it seems like these are the ones that we experience the most. Now, what about the arrows? Let's look at it from a Roman perspective. So Roman archers had arrows whose tips, the tips of it, they didn't have the muzzy broadheads that we have now or even the helicopter blades that they are able to shoot birds with and decapitate them with. They had arrows whose tips were sometimes blunted but would be wrapped with strips of cloth and then soaked with pitch. Highly flammable material and material that wasn't going to burn quickly. So when the arrow was knocked, it was ignited with a flame The arrows were aimed at the enemy troops and whatever it hit caused it to splatter all of that flaming and fiery pitch wherever. And it could seriously injure soldiers with serious burns and it could tempt the soldier to drop his shield. Oh my word, sparks and flaming pitch is going everywhere. I'm going to put my shield down and get out of here. That's that. No, remember, our objective in spiritual warfare is to what? To stand. To stand firm against the onslaught of the devil. That's what we're doing here, beloved. You are in the front lines. God enlisted you for you. You are in the front lines with the shield of faith. Because whatever, wherever your life is, is open to Satan and the spiritual warfare and the, and the forces of darkness. And they see you and they know you're a believer and you've got a target on your back. And so it's either hold this shield of faith up and survive and stand or drop it and fail. Drop it and falter. Drop it and fall. Now, as, as we talk about this, it is interesting, uh, in the Greek, it's the idea that these flames have been coming and continue to come. They're, they're continuous, probably from the very first day you became a believer. I don't know if these flaming arrows are shot at unbelievers. There's no need. They're already on his side of the defense. They're his. So he may do things to keep them there, But these flaming arrows are against 
believers. They're there to make the believer feel awful, feel terrible, to quit. But if there's anything that he does to unbelievers, it's to make them happy in all the sin they're doing and being very quiet about the true results and consequences of that sin. But for right now, it's party. And by the way, there's no sense even an unbeliever trying to apply all of this. You you don't have your initial faith, which is faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, we've all sinned, and we're all in the enemy's camp. But God wanted to bring us to his camp. He wanted to save us. And so he sent his son and he took our sins and our sins were placed upon his son. All of our sins. But we're still not saved. It's until the day that I recognize that and I want to be saved and I come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I trust you. I embrace you. I take you. I receive you as my savior with the arms of my faith. I cling to you as my Savior, as my sacrifice. And the moment your faith does that, plus nothing else, you are saved and you are forgiven and you are given eternal life. You will live forever in heaven with the Lord. But in the meantime, you are going to be promoted to the front line in the spiritual battle that is already going on. Now, how does one extinguish these arrows? Or what did they do to go about? Because that's what he says. He says to extinguish the flaming arrows. By the way, the word flame was porao. We get our English transliteration with the Y, replacing the U as pyro. Pyrotechniques every 4th of July. Pyromaniacs every 4th of July. No, just kidding. But that pyro, that's what this word is, the flaming ones. They have been flaming and they're continuing to be flaming. That's the kind they are and they're coming from the evil one. They're meant to hurt. They're meant to burn. They're meant to singe. They're meant to kill if they could. Well, how do you extinguish them? Well, the primary way to extinguish these flaming arrows was they would soak their shields with water. And it would either cause a deflection the wet surface would deflect an arrow and hopefully not into the soldier side of you or into any apparatus that you're using for military and catch it on fire, but at least not for them. It was deflected by the slippery surface or if it stuck into the shield, the water would extinguish, the damp wood would extinguish the fire. And the idea of the fire is, is that it's going to hurt. It's going to burn a little emotionally, and it's going to singe a little bit spiritually. It's not a flaming arrow for nothing. Now, interesting enough, as we look at this passage here, this is the only weapon that Paul describes what it does. Now, we assume we know what the loins of truth do. It helps us stand against false doctrine. It helps us stand against lies. It makes us stand up for the truth. But this is the only one that tells us the whole idea. It is the idea that it extinguishes. It can extinguish these fiery arrows. In addition to all, I told you that, but let me, let me not make sure I miss anything else. Taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So uh, he gives the purpose there. It's the only weapon that he mentions here or armor that he mentions its ultimate purpose. Although I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but this is interesting. It's almost as if Paul is saying, and let me tell you, let me tell you what the shield of faith does. It extinguishes those fiery flames that Paul knew about so well. You know, When Paul writes in scripture, he writes, not only is he an inspired writer by the Holy Spirit, but he writes things like, I am telling the truth and I am not lying. Well, why would you say that, Paul? 
Because there's many who are out there who don't believe in it, believe he's a liar, believe he's lying. And, and you don't think that's a fiery dart? Here's this apostle. God called him. The Lord Jesus Christ showed himself to him. And here people doubt him. Well, you're not a real apostle. You weren't with the original 12, then 11. In fact, Paul even said, I was like one born out of time, the wrong time. I, I didn't hit my delivery date. And so it's as if he, there's a little bit of personal reflection here. The flaming arrows, man, do they hurt. Let me talk about some of the flaming arrows in the short time that we have. Let me talk about what they are. But before we do, just one other illustration about Martin Luther and to show how much he was vexed by the devil, and rightly so, for he was one of the starters of the Reformation. Is there a Reformation going on today? You bet. If you're here and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, faith in him, faith alone, the Reformation is still going on. And also, he was the one to break the hold and then put the word of God in the language of the people. Did that work? We've got so many Bibles. You've probably got four or five Bibles on your phone alone. We've got Bibles up here. We've got, we've got so many Bibles that if you need a Bible, there's a whole basket full of them that I don't know where they came from. I don't know if people forgot them here or people bought them at a yard sale, but we have the Bible in our language, thanks to Martin Luther. So if he had any dealings with the devil, I can understand why. All right, if you were to visit Wartburg Castle in Germany, that's the place where Martin Luther hid out and translated the Bible into German, you would be shown an ink stain on the wall. And the tour guide would give the following explanation. The great reformer Martin Luther dreamed that Satan appeared to him with a long scroll in which were carefully written the many sins and transgressions of which he was guilty from his birth. And by the way, this is one of the things that plagued Martin Luther. His, his conscience was hypersensitive, and maybe it was hyper-hypersensitive. And this bothered him until he came to Christ, and yet he still had that sensitive conscience. And so here he is supposedly having this dream with this long scroll of the many sins that he committed from his birth and which the evil one proceeded to read, mocking, laughing all the time that such a sinner as he should ever think of being called to do service for God or even escaping himself from hell. As the long list was being read, Luther's terrors grew and his agonies of soul increased. At last, however, rousing himself, he jumped up, woke up, exclaimed, It's all true. It's all true, Satan. And many more sins which I have committed in my life, which are known to God only. But right at the bottom of this list, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Then, grasping the inkwell on his table, he threw it at the devil who fled. The memorial of the event being left in the ink splash on the wall. Well, the idea here is that was Martin Luther's shield of faith. And Martin Luther had to produce that shield of faith many, many times. And it just goes to show you what the flaming arrows are and the vexing of our soul at times. Well, let me give you several of which I think we are specifically talking about the flaming arrows. And those could be many categories. And, and that's fine. Number one is temptation. Number two is our thoughts, our thought life. Number three is circumstances. And number four is the action and words of others. These could become all flaming arrows. First of all, what about temptation? Is temptation a flaming arrow? 
Oh, you bet it is, but the temptation first comes as if it's not on fire. It doesn't come as an arrow. It comes as a peace offering. You see sin. You go after sin. You want sin only to find out it wasn't a peace offering. It was a fiery arrow and now it's stuck in me. I put down my shield and I'm reaping the consequences. Satan's primary scheme is to hurl flaming arrows of temptation in order to make the believer sin. First of all, he will tempt us at inopportune times. Or should I say, he will tempt us at opportune times for him. There are situations when you are just ripe for a temptation. Not because of anything you did, particularly, although it may be. But it was a time when you maybe have been letting your guard down in a certain area, but everything's been going well, and then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the temptation to go through that area. One of the things that we could be talking about, we could be talking about discouragement, being depressed, being overwhelmed with things, being lonely. One of the things that somebody said to me long ago, and I didn't really think much of it, but I've thought of it often over the years, it's called HALT. H-A-L-T, halt, stop, halt if you are hungry, stop if you are angry, stop if you are lonely, stop if you are tired. Those are all opportune times when Satan would like to get us, but we should halt, we should have that shield of faith. He will also tempt us in each of our own particular areas of weakness. And it's very interesting. Over the years, I've talked to certain individuals and, you know, everybody talking about their, their areas of weakness. And, and with some, it may be morality or immorality. With others, it could be money and making money and struggling with greediness. With others, it could be anything else. It could be anything else that becomes a distraction for you in your Christian life or something that comes above the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a particular area of weakness, and he knows it. And here comes the temptation. And again, we have to have the shield of faith and know that God will not allow us to be tempted above what we cannot handle. But we also have to, be, have to be smart enough to make sure that shield is up ahead of time. Don't put the shield down, go through things, and then, oh, my word, I wish I would have had my shield up. In other words, know the areas of weakness. Know the areas that God is working in your life to develop Christ-like character and work on it. And if there's situations that you're about to head into and you know how it's always ended up, perhaps you and another person or something, Pray about it beforehand. Deal with it. Be ready. Get your guard up so that you don't fall, so that you don't fail, so that your testimony isn't ruined, so that you edify. And temptations go on and on. Temptations go on and on. And they can be good things. They can be the good things sometimes become the enemy of the best thing. Sometimes. Well, it's also thoughts. And this seems to be an area that Martin Luther struggled with. And I know a lot of other believers that struggle with this as well. I think we all do to a degree. I mean, what I find so interesting is I'll, I'll, hear, I'll, hear, I'll hear somebody going through a, a, a situation and I'm concerned and I will pray. But I'm thinking, oh, my word, that doesn't seem that hard for me. I mean, that doesn't seem that bad to me. But they're struggling. But then comes the day when I have something I'm struggling with. And I share it, and, and, and sometimes, you know, maybe they're like, oh, well, you know, just hang in there. You'll be all right. And I'm like, what? Why, aren't you, why aren't you coming down to my level here? I need someone to come down here and, 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 and understand. Well, that's because it's all the particulars. I'm a little different than you. You're a little different than me. And Satan knows the differences. He, if he is the number one angelic being, If he's not, he's at least one of them. But if he is the angelic being who fell and now is evil, he's the most intelligent created being. Angels are greater 
in wisdom and knowledge than human beings, even the least of angels. But he very well was the, the greatest angel before he fell. I don't know. You tell me. You, we could probably. This is this is where this would be a good Sunday night sermon, and then we'll just get around and we'll just have discussion. You tell me how he affects your thoughts. It could be that he will tempt believers to imagine only worst case scenarios. Oh, this situation's bad. This, oh, you know what? I have figured out ten things that are going to happen with this scenario. Now, let me say, it could. It could. But God still has you in the palm of his hand. But most likely, they won't. Most likely, Romans 8, 28, God will work this out for good. And, you know, sometimes we do that with people, and we say, well, I know what they're, how they're going to respond. I get it. I do that. But I also have to remind myself that, you know what? Yes, if God does not intervene, and we've seen God intervene so many times in people's lives, in situations. And so we don't let our worries get the best of us. We don't let these worst-case scenarios. Um, but then again, maybe, maybe you don't have a problem in that area, but maybe you're the person that says, yeah, case sirrah, sirrah, everything is going to work out good. Don't you worry. Well, you're forgetting the battle that you have to go through. Secondly, he will tempt believers to believe that God has forsaken them. And, I, and, and there's a sense in which you say, I don't, I don't know how that could happen. And yet, when it does happen, every, I've seen everyone kind of go toward that area like, man, I just, you know, am I being cursed by God? Am I being punished by God? You know, has he forsaken me? Am I out of his will? And so you're wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. What is needed is the shield of faith. Yeah, it's going to sting a little bit, maybe even be some splattering, but it's going to stop it. It's going to extinguish it. Or here's one. He will tempt believers to believe that everybody hates them. You're hated among every. Everybody hates you. And if somebody says something, even in uh, you know, a helpful way, you take it in the worst way. And you imagine that that person gets up every morning and prays for you and says, God, discipline them today, which is not true. It was, it was uh, R.C. Sproul that kind of brought this out. He said, you know, I know things can get bad, and I know that there could be people against you, especially unbelievers. And he said, I know that even believers can do things that are not right. He said, but generally, to go to that degree that they hate you, that it's the worst of worst, is usually too much if you could only find out and reason through this. So there's all kinds of things that he's going to bring to your mind. Um, should I have done this or shouldn't have I done that? Um, you know, did I communicate my sermon correctly? Thank you, Darlene, because every Sunday, well, what did you, was it logical? Was, was, it, was it biblical? Was it powerful? And being the good wife that she is, she always says yes. <laughs> well, I could tell. I could tell in her inflections of the word yes. <laughs> I mean, all those things. And, and it's not that it's bad, but the, it, it can distract you. It can keep you from going on the Lord. You could think about it over and over. You know, what, what is a sleepless night? You know what it is. Something happened during the day and you can't get it off your mind. And you're thinking about it in the wee hours of the morning. And then tomorrow, well, you don't wake up because you didn't get any sleep. You have to go through that day. And guess what? He's got you on the tee, tired. Oh, my gosh, you got set up by the devil. All of these things can add up in our thought life. These are flaming arrows and number one, it's the shield of faith by knowing God is control, in control, knowing his promises. And then I'm going to say something else. It's also knowing scripture that opposes those things. We're going to talk about that when we get to the sword of the spirit. That's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted. He gave scriptural principles to each one, meaning he had them memorized. His mind was full of scripture. And that's how you extinguish these thoughts and the thought life. 
Get your mind busy and off of this. Get your mind on the word of God. How about circumstances? Satan will project flaming flaming arrows through difficult and disappointing circumstances. He will attempt to cause believers to think that their service is not worth all the trouble. Can you believe how much trouble I'm having in the ministry? I just started such and such a class. I'm so excited. I told God I'm, 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 I'm rededicating my life. I'm spending extra time studying and look at all of the trouble I'm having. That sounds about right. That, that sounds like a Martin Luther thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't throw in the towel. Or, or sometimes you question, well, maybe we're not doing God's will. Look at all of these things that are coming up against. And by the way, let me just say this. I do understand that there is th- such a thing as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there are some things that maybe we do need to make right. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, we just have such a positive attitude that I don't do anything wrong. Well, there you go. He got you in that one. But it's the idea, okay, you know, if, if I have... If I have thought maybe I sinned, if I've sinned and I've confessed that sin, but you still are struggling with it, maybe it is spiritual warfare. And Martin Luther, and I know I shared this before, Martin Luther would struggle with, was it sin or wasn't it sin? In other words, it wasn't something spelled out completely in the word of God, or it wasn't something that it was of my heart, and I'm trying to look at my heart, did I do it in the right attitude, or was there... You know, was there a tinge of something else that wasn't a right attitude? And, and you're struggling and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, I, you know, here I am in sin. I don't know whether it's sin. I don't know whether it's not. Martin Luther, his solution was to confess it. Confess it in truth. Lord, if this is sin and I'm not sure, but, Lord, I know me and it very well could be, would you forgive me for this? And so there's a dealing. There's a dealing with the shield of faith for every one of these How about the actions and the words of others? Satan will send a barrage of flaming arrows through the unintentional or intentional words and actions of others. They may not have meant anything by it, but you're taking it like it was the worst case since hearing the news about Custer. He will attempt to wound believers through the words and actions of others to cause them to be bitter and unforgiving. Oh, he's got you. He got over your shield. He got under your shield. He got around your shield if you're walking around bitter and unforgiving. Because at the moment, you're not really helping or edifying anybody. You're just thinking about you and licking your wounds. Christians must be careful that they are edifying agents edifying agents of God rather than flaming arrows of Satan. Well, we could talk about the evil one because that's the next phrase. I'm looking at my time here. That is a flaming arrow. The clock is a flaming arrow to me. But that's all right. I I know you all have your shield of faith up. (laughs) But we'll talk about the evil one we come, when we come back because there's, there's an awful lot said about that title of Satan, the evil one. And we'll find out that he snatches away the word from the heart of man, the word of God. Uh, unbelievers are sons of the evil one. The whole world is governed by the power of the evil one. And through Christ and his word, believers are not overcome by the evil one. Christ prayed to the Father that believers would be kept from the evil one. And the Lord does indeed strengthen the believer and protect him from the evil one. We'll go through those in those verses when we come back after my vacation. So next week will be Easter. I'll be preaching Easter. And then following week, Tim will be preaching and then Mike. So I appreciate men who can fill the pulpit teach the word of God, and uh, you pray for them, and uh, you, you come on out and support them. I'll close with this illustration of why shields are so important. The absence of a shield can prove critical in battle. In 1346, at the Battle of Crecy, some 5,000 crossbowmen 
in the French army engaged in an archery duel with the English longbowmen. The crossbowmen in the French service had little time to prepare for battle, and they were forced to leave their protective oblong shields behind. The situation was made worse by the onset of a rainstorm, which dampened their bowstrings, thus reducing their range. As a result, the crossbowmen had to engage the English archers without their usual protective shields and at a shorter range than usual. Consequently, they were rapidly defeated and routed. It is clear that in times before the advent of the firearms, shields were a divisive tool, a divisive tool of a decisive tool. There you go. There's a flaming arrow right there when I mix those words up. Shields were a de- decisive tool of war, and the absence of a shield could prove disastrous in ancient military as well as spiritual warfare today. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, thank you for each of these pieces that you have given us and that we've been studying. And this one here is a very important one, especially experientially with all the many flaming arrows that plague us, that keep us awake, that tell us that There's no use being in ministry. There's no use serving the Lord. It's not worth all of the hassle or further yet to even just kind of sulk back from being involved in Christianity, going to church at all. Oh, Father, help us with the shield of faith, knowing you are our shield, knowing you have a shield and protect us, and knowing that you are as our shield of faith through your promises and your word, able to quench the fiery arrows of Satan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.